So we welcome you to message number three in our series. What's it called? Seconds After You Die. Now, in message number one that we titled Dust to Dust, we talked about the physical aspects of death. We studied five realities that all of us will experience physically seconds after we died. In message number two that we entitled Mythbusters, we debunked six of the most common believed myths about the afterlife that are embraced and believed by millions of people and some by billions of people around the world. This morning, we've entitled the message, What the Hell? With a question mark at the end, you'll notice. Why would I title a message like this? Not to make a joke, but to communicate that there is a lot of confusion out there as to what the Bible teaches about the reality of hell that we want to clear up this morning. Now, all of us know deep down that we're going to die. One out of one people die. I know it's something we don't like to think about, uh, but it's a truth. We know this. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 2 says, there is a time for everything, a time to be born and a time to die. It's very strange. Even though we know we're going to die, most of us like to avoid thinking about that very fact. Even though all of us have also seen dozens, if not hundreds, of depictions of death on the silver screen given to us by Hollywood, we watch it. Sometimes we even applaud when the villain, you know, dies. But we never turn the camera on us, do we? We really don't in any kind of serious way, really thinking like, wow, that's going to happen to me one day. One day I'm going to die. I don't know if you've ever witnessed in real life someone taking their last breath literally before your very eyes. As a pastor, I've been to many bedsides, and I've seen many people take their final breath and then enter into eternity right in front of my very eyes. What happens in that very second when a person dies? What's going to happen to you in that very second when you die physically? One day, you will experience that. The clock will tick down. Three, two, one. There will come a moment when you will die physically. The Bible teaches that your last breath here, here, will transition you to your first breath somewhere else. And this will happen instantaneously. No long tunnel. Instantaneously will you be transitioned. The Bible teaches we are physical, but that we are also spiritual. The physical part of us will one day die. It's temporal. But the spiritual part, the eternal part, never dies. It just relocates to a different destination, an eternal destination. This is what the Bible teaches. Ecclesiastes 3.10, he has set eternity in the hearts of men. We studied this last Sunday. We are eternal spiritual beings. Now, there are two eternal destinations talked about in the Bible where people go for all eternity. And once you are there, that is it. It's unalterable. It is fixed for eternity. This is not difficult 
to find clearly taught in the Bible. This is 101 Bible. All believers go to heaven for eternity. This is what we will study in detail next Sunday. All unbelievers go to hell for eternity. If you die physically without believing in Jesus as your Savior and Lord for the forgiveness of your sins, you will go to a place called hell for all eternity. So you think about this. As your relatives and friends plan your funeral here on earth, you will be more alive than ever before. I've heard people, they make jokes about hell. All my friends are going to be there. It's just going to be such an amazing party. And when I hear those statements, it, it reveals so much ignorance about what the Bible teaches regarding hell. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God's plan, God's desire for every person is that they would not perish, that they would have eternal life. Now, of the four messages that I prepared for this series, this is the message I really didn't want to prepare. <laughs> this is the one that I most put off, and I typically don't do that. Who wants to spend multiple hours spending time studying what the Bible teaches about hell? But here's what I discovered as a big picture thought. When you study every passage in the Bible about hell, Jesus speaks more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. 13% of Jesus' teaching is about judgment and hell. More than half of Jesus' parables teach about judgment and hell. Jesus speaks the most about hell. Why? Well, it's as if Jesus is saying, I love you so much. I don't want you to miss my warning about this terrible eternal destination. So what I want to do this morning is this. I want us to study four dimensions of hell that an unbeliever will experience at physical death. Four dimensions. When an unbeliever dies, the Bible teaches that he or she will experience hell in four phases. And I pray that this message, whether you're watching it live right now or you're watching this on video or listening, I pray this message will make hell so scary and so undesirable that if you are not ready to die physically right now, you will place your faith in Jesus Christ so that He can keep you from this terrible place. That's been my prayer. What's the first dimension of hell that an unbeliever will experience at physical death? Number one, Hades. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16, if you would. Luke chapter 16. Now, wouldn't it be helpful if the Bible gave us an actual account of an unbeliever who died and then the account told us what that unbeliever experienced seconds after he died. And this is what we have in Luke chapter 16. This gives us that exact account in the words of Jesus. This is trustworthy. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Let's read this. 
There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. So we have a rich man, we have a man named Lazarus. Lazarus was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. We'll talk about that in a second. The rich man died and was buried in hell, or Hades, the Greek word, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone go over from here to us, there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not come also to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Wow. It's an incredible portrait. Let me begin by saying something that maybe you've never heard before because, again, there is misunderstanding about what the Bible teaches about hell. No one is in hell right now. Unbelievers who die not knowing Christ are not in hell yet. They are in a place, technically speaking, called Hades. This passage in Luke 16 is not describing hell, it's describing Hades. You say, what's the difference? So let me give you some background. I'm going to unpack and summarize a lot of things theologically right now in a very short period of time. In the Old Testament, there's a place called Sheol. That's the Hebrew term. In the New Testament, it's called Hades. That's the Greek term, and it refers to the abode of the dead. It's the same place. The words are basically synonyms. Some theologians call it Sheol Hades. For our purposes, we're going to call it Hades. Now, in the Old Testament times, up to the point of the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross, when people died, both the righteous and the unrighteous, they went to Hades. But there were two levels in Hades, as we see right here in Luke 16. There's the penthouse, and then there's the dungeon. And the penthouse was like heaven, a nice place to go to. Abraham and Lazarus were there. It's called Abraham's bosom. The dungeon was like hell, but not quite as bad as we're going to see a little bit later. But it was a terrible place to go to, and the rich man is there, as we see here in Luke 16. And from Luke 16, it appears that Hades actually had three compartments that we can see clearly. There's Abraham's side, the penthouse, the heavenly-like place, Abraham and Lazarus are there. Then there's the place of torments, the dungeon area, the hell-like place. The rich man is there. And then there's this great chasm, this fixed barrier to prevent any crossover. 
Now stay with me, okay? Jesus died on the cross. During his three-day period when his body lay in the grave, Jesus was alive spiritually, and he went to Hades and then to paradise. What did Jesus do in Hades? Jesus declared his victory over sin and Satan and the demonic world in Hades. And then he took with him all those in Abraham's side, in the penthouse, all the righteous saints to a place called paradise, or also called heaven, or the place where God dwells. Now, several of the passages in the Bible speak about this. Let me give you a few. Colossians 2.15. He also descended, this is speaking of Jesus, to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is speaking of Jesus again. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 and 19. He was put to death in the body, this is Jesus, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison or in Hades. The Bible goes on to say, well, you remember that Jesus... Uh, when he was on the cross, the night before, uh, right before he died physically, you remember what Jesus said, he's on the cross and he turns to that thief and he said to Luke 23, 43, today you will be with me in what? Paradise. Think about it. Who died first, Jesus or the thief on the cross? Jesus died first. He went to Hades and then that was true. That thief would have gone with Christ to paradise. What's the Bible saying? Let me kind of summarize. After Jesus died physically, Jesus went to Hades. He declared his victory to those who were in the dungeon and took with him all the righteous saints who were at Abraham's side, the penthouse, and brought them to paradise heaven, the abode of God where all believers go now since the cross. Abraham's side in Hades is now empty. It is vacant all righteous saints who have died through all history are now with Jesus in heaven. So for you as a believer today, to be absent from the body, if you were to die physically, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. All believers go directly to paradise, to heaven. We're going to talk about that in detail next Sunday. What about an unbeliever? When an unbeliever dies today, they go in immediately to Hades. In Hades, an unbeliever is kept under punishment until their bodily resurrection when they will face judgment and then sentencing to hell. Hades always refers to the temporary place of the unbelieving dead. Now, that being said, let me give you six terrible descriptions, observations about Hades, this temporal place of torment where millions of unbelievers from all human history are currently being kept, even as we are here today. If you have known a person who's died not knowing Christ, this is where that unbeliever is right now, in Hades. And this is what the Scripture says characteristically about Hades. Number one, it's a place of conscious existence. We see that in verse 23. I mean, this rich man is in a place... He is thinking, he is reasoning, he is seeing, he is feeling, he is hearing, he is tasting. Presumably, he is also smelling. All five of his senses are operational. We're talking full-blown consciousness in Hades. There is 
No soul sleep, no purgatory, no annihilation. We talked about that last Sunday. All of the, the myths are debunked, even with this account right here. It's a place of real torment, verse 23 and 24. He's in pain, he's in agony. It's a place of total regret, verse 25. He's thinking about his life. And there's total regret. It's a place of fairness and justice. The man complains about his pain, but he never complains about injustice. He knows that what he is getting, he deserves. It's a place where there, is no, there are no second chances. You see that in verse 26. A chasm is fixed. It's a place so bad that those who are in it desire to warn others. Isn't that amazing? This guy has five brothers, and he's begging Abraham to please send someone to warn his brothers. Amazing. Those in Haiti suddenly become interested in missions. Incredible. What happens to an unbeliever seconds after they die? They go immediately to Hades, this temporary place of torment. Now question, will an unbeliever have some sort of physical body in Hades? Some scholars believe no. Hades is only experienced in a bodiless spiritual state. Others believe yes. God gives those in Hades a temporary physical body. That's personally where I land as Luke 16 seems just too physical to interpret it only as a spiritual experience. However, if I'm wrong, an unbeliever some reason, for some reason doesn't have some sort of a temporary physical body in Hades, their spiritual nature in Hades will be of such a nature that it can experience everything described in Luke 16. First dimension of hell, an unbelievable experience, seconds after they die, Hades. Second dimension of hell, an unbeliever will experience, is this, resurrection. There will come a time in the future, in God's time, when an unbeliever will transition, be moved from Hades and experience a resurrection. Now, believers after physical death in God's time also are resurrected and receive a body, watch this, suited for heaven. We're going to study this in detail next Sunday. Unbelievers will be resurrected and receive a body suited for hell. This is what the Bible teaches. And for an unbeliever, this will happen at the end of the millennium when God gives the call in preparation for the great white throne judgment. Now, what the Bible teaches is that at physical death, an unbeliever goes immediately into Hades and will remain in Hades until and then through the entire millennium, which is the thousand-year rule of Christ here on earth, which you and I as believers will be a part of, but unbelievers will remain in Hades. Uh, at the end of that millennium, at God's call, unbelievers in Hades will receive a resurrected body that is suited for judgment and then experience the sentencing and then eternal hell. And the Old Testament as well as the New Testament speaks of this. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. It's a picture of resurrection. John 5, 28 and 29. A time is coming when all, underline all, who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Acts chapter 24, verse 15. There will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the wicked. The Bible is clear about this. 2 Peter 2, 9. The Lord knows how to hold in Hades, presumably, 
the unrighteous for the day of judgment. Wow. What will an unbeliever experience when he or she dies physically? Hades, a temporary place of punishment. Resurrection, a body suited for hell. The third aspect of hell an unbeliever will experience at physical death is this, judgment. Now, what will this judgment be like for an unbeliever? It'll be terrifying in one word. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I can't even imagine this. God's pure justice being directed at your life. It will be terrifying, it will be silencing, and it will be final. Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. There's no reincarnation, no annihilation, no universalism, no, well, nothing happens after you die. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's Hades. You will be resurrected. You will face judgment. Acts 17.31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, that is the moment in history where everyone would give an account in judgment before the living God. Tim LaHaye says this, written on the tablet of every man's heart is an intuitive awareness that he will stand before God to be judged after death. Wow. It's intuitive unless we suppress it. It's there. All unbelievers will face the great white throne judgment. That's the name of the judgment that an unbeliever will experience, the great white throne judgment. Let me give you a brief overview of this judgment. When? It's going to happen at the end of the millennium, before the eternal state. Where will this judgment take place? In heaven, before the great white throne, which is the throne of God. Who will judge? The answer is Jesus Christ. John 5.22, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Who will be judged? All unbelievers throughout human history will be judged before the great white throne. What is the basis of this judgment? Rejection of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. What is the sentence? The lake of fire, also the term used for hell. What will this be like? Wow, the Bible is clear and it's horrifying. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation Chapter 20 is one of the most scary sections of Scripture I know in the Bible. This is the destiny of every unbeliever, this judgment. Then I saw the, saw the great white throne, and him who was seated on it, that's Jesus. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. At this point in history even before the millennium and then after the millennium. I mean, the world is going to be completely redone and renewed. And so earth and sky flee, flees from the presence of the Lord. And I saw the dead, great and small. When you see the word dead, that's speaking about an unbeliever. Great and small, standing. I mean, there's going to be rulers, leaders, presidents. You've got small, every single person standing before the throne. This is the throne of God. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. We'll talk about these books in a little bit. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead. Again, this is talking about unbelievers that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Hades is still around. 
but Hades will be given up at this great white throne. And each person was judged according to what he has done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. David Jeremiah writes this about this scripture. I think it's one of the best summations I've ever read. He says this, at the great white throne judgment, every unredeemed person who has ever lived will stand before Jesus Christ to receive the sentence of eternal death. There they will face a judge but no jury, a prosecutor but no defender, a sentence but no appeal. It is the final judgment of the world. There is no hope for those who appear before the great white throne. There is no possibility of redemption, no possibility of a favorable verdict, and no possibility of appeal. There is only sentence, and that is to be thrown in the lake of fire. The first death involves the separation of the body from the spirit and the soul. You see there's the term second death here. The second death involves the separation of the person from God forever. That's An unbeliever dies once only to die again eternally separated from God for all eternity. I guess the question I have for you right now is this. Is your name written in the most important books of all eternity in history? There are three books consulted at the Great White Throne Judgment if you saw those as we read them. Let's talk about them. The first book is this, the book of human works. This is man's book that records every person's deed, the book of human works. For those who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, they will be judged from this book of human works. This book of human works will contain every thought, every word, every deed, every action, every motive motive committed, and all people will fail miserably. Matthew 10, 26 says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Can you imagine standing before God? And by the way, the Bible teaches every deed, every thought, every action, every word has been recorded. It's being recorded. And God will be looking for one thing in this book. Was there a time when you believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Was there a time? Galatians 2.16 says, A man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Was there a time you put your faith in Jesus Christ? John 6.29 says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. One sin recorded in the book of human works disqualifies a person from heaven. Why? God says, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, eternal death. The second book that will be consulted is the book of life. It's God's book that records the name of every person created, but whose names are blotted from its pages at physical death. If the person dies without believing in Jesus, hopefully you were able to follow that train of thought, understanding what this book is about. Let me kind of speak on it a little bit. Revelation 20.15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Psalm 68 verse 28 says, May they be blotted out of the book of life, this is God's book, and not listed with the righteous. Here's an amazing thought. If you're an unbeliever alive today, listening to this right now, your name is currently written in God's book of life. And God is waiting for you to believe on Jesus, His Son, 
so that your name will not be blotted from its pages at physical death. It's incredible. The third book is the Lamb's Book of Life. This is Jesus' book that records the names of every person who believes on him for their salvation. You've got the Lord's book. Revelation 21, verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. July 27, 1981. My name was written into the Lamb's book of life when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. It's critical that your name be contained in God's book of life and the Lamb's book of life because watch this, this is your reservation into heaven. This is it. If your names are not there, you don't have a reservation. And only Jesus gives you that reservation. The day you believed on Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that guarantees that your name will never be blotted out of God's book of life. Jesus and only Jesus can secure your reservation for heaven. Only Jesus. No other religious system can do that, beloved. It's Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Revelation 3, verse 5. He who overcomes, that's a believer, I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Are you following this? It's, it's as if this is God's merciful double check before final sentencing. This is what's going on. The Father says, Son, do you see their name written in your book? No, the Son says. And the Father says, I don't see it in my book either. How sad. People will hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. Believe on Jesus in this life, or you will stand before God at the great white throne judgment, and books will be opened, and you will stand naked, and you will stand speechless, condemned, and before your final sentencing is pronounced, you will forcibly live out the prophecy of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, that says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave them the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you understanding that this is where people will bow their knee in heaven, they're in the very throne room of God in heaven, unbelievers make it there, they finally carry out the prophecy of bowing before Jesus, confessing that he is Lord. One day, every person created will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Far better to bow and confess Jesus is Lord now, voluntarily, in this life, than to reject Him in this life, and then be forced to bow and confess Jesus is Lord at the great white throne judgment where it will be way, way, way too late. You look at how the great white throne judgment ends. It ends in a sentencing that's terrifying. You see there at the end, of verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. And the Bible says that the angels do this. This is part of the job of angels is to actually throw unbelievers into the lake of fire. It's hard to comprehend all of this. And I have to agree with C.S. Lewis. I've given you the quote where he said, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than hell. I would pay any price to be able to say truthfully, all will be saved. I wish I could preach that. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to preach this message. But then I would not be teaching you the plain, simple word of God. The only problem 
is the Bible does not teach this at all, that all would be saved. The Bible teaches many will go to hell. The Bible screams out to us about the reality of hell. 13% of Jesus' teaching is about judgment and hell. More than half of Jesus' parables, his stories, are about judgment and hell. It's again like Jesus saying, I love you so much. Please do not miss my warning. Well, when an unbeliever experienced seconds after they die, Hades, a place of temporary punishment, resurrection, a body suited for hell, judgment, a time when they will stand before God for judgment at the great white throne uh, for sentencing and judgment. The fourth event, an unbelievable experience after physical death, finally is hell. Hell is the final eternal destination for an unbeliever. You say, what's hell going to be like? Let me give you 10 facts about hell. Number one, it's a place originally created for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. Second, it is a place where unbelievers after judgment will be thrown into. Revelation 20, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And as I have shared with you, that is one of the jobs of angels. Three, it is a place of total separation from the presence of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will be shut out, speaking of unbelievers, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from His power. Hell is not an end. It's a beginning. It's the beginning of an eternal state of separation from God for all eternity. Four, it's a place of conscious eternal punishment. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will be punished with everlasting destruction. Wow, Lord. Mark 9.43, it's a place of eternal fire. The Bible says hell where the fire never goes out. Six, it's a place of weeping. Matthew 25, verse 30, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine that? I just can't. Seven, it's a place of eternal insomnia. Revelation 14.11, there is no rest day or night. You do not sleep in hell. You have a new body. We can't imagine that right now. But the resurrected body you're going to have for hell will allow you never to sleep. It's a place, eighth, of darkness. 2 Peter 2.17, blackest darkness is reserved for them. Nine, it's a place of no escape. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, everlasting destruction. Ten, it's a place where degrees of punishment will be experienced. Degrees. Yes, they will. A punishment in hell. See, God is a just God. Hebrews 9 or Hebrews 2 2 says, every violation and disobedience will, will receive its just punishment. Just punishment. Jay Cardi uh, says this. He says, there appears to be levels of punishment in hell. The deepest part of the pit is reserved for the devil himself, the beast, the false prophet, and the demonic host. People will then be positioned according to their works. This concept of degrees of punishment is consistent with the parallel concept of rewards in heaven. We'll talk about this next Sunday. There are various rewards in heaven. There are various degrees of punishment in hell. Matthew eleven twenty four. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on that day of judgment than for you. Luke 20, verse 47. Very clear about this. Such men will be punished more, more or most severely. 
No part of hell will be desirable. It's all a place of torment, but there will be degrees of punishment that God will justly render for unbelievers to experience. Jay Cardi has written a book called Playing with Fire, and I recommend this if you want to read Do Nice People Really Go to Hell, the, the subtitle uh, of it. And he, he gives us in this book uh, 28 characteristics of hell. Let me read these. You'll keep your personality with your sin nature turned loose. Satisfaction is never available. There is never any fulfillment. An absence of all that's good. In the presence of all that's bad and evil. Unrestrained demonstration of selfish urges. Continual burning. Consuming fire. Unquenchable fire. Eternal destruction. Outer darkness. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. No presence of God. No glory of God's power. Lake of fire. Burns with brimstone and fire. Second death extreme anguish, worse than death itself, degrees of punishment, wrath and fury, tribulation, distress, sun destruction, no escape, pits of nether gloom, nether gloom, torment goes up forever and ever, you'll have no rest, you'll know what's going on in heaven, and be aware of what you're missing forever. Imagine, you were in the very throne room of God to receive your sentence. You have that seared into your mind, the glory of Jesus Christ, which we're going to talk about next Sunday, that will take your, it's going to blow you away. He says this, that's a thumbnail impression of hell. Pretty grim, huh? And yet some people think life on this earth is more important than their existence afterward. Hell is a terrible price to pay for such distorted values. It's an awful consequence for making just one bad bet. Are you gambling that you're right and God is wrong? I can put it this way. Are you gambling that your notion, whatever it is, of the afterlife is right and God's word is wrong? Is that your gamble? If so, you're trying to be God and you go to hell for that, says Jay Cardi. Wow. This is what the Bible teaches, beloved. It breaks my heart to teach this, but this, this is what God's word says. What will an unbeliever experience at physical death? Hades, a place of temporary punishment. Resurrection, a body suited for hell. Judgment, a time when they will stand before God at the great white throne judgment for sentencing. And then hell, eternal punishment forever in the lake of fire. You do not want to die an unbeliever. Repent of your sins. Believe on Jesus. Avoid hell. Go to heaven. Now I want to wrap up by giving to you the two most common questions I'm asked as a pastor about hell all the time. And I want to answer those for you. But first, I want you to talk a little bit at your tables. And this is what I'd like you to talk about. How is all of this hitting you right now? How is this hitting you? Talk for a few moments, then we'll come back. Okay, let me wrap up. Two of the most common questions I'm asked as a pastor about hell. Number one is this. What are God's purposes for hell? Why is there something like hell? Why? It, why? First purpose for hell is this, justice. The Bible says this, 2 Thessalonians 1.6, God is just. See, I, I've had people, they'll, they'll say to me, I just can't believe 
in a God who allows such terrible things to take place. I mean, like murder and rape and terrorism and genocide. And there's like, there's no consequences. You look at the news and you see what happens and people kill each other and then they get away with it. There's no consequences. I can't believe in a God like that. Sorry, I just can't. And I say to them, guess what? I can't believe in a God like that either. That's not my God. Acts 17.31 says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. You see, we believe in a God, our God, who will one day make every wrong right. One day God will punish all evil. That punishment is justly called hell. Max Lucado puts it this way. He says, as much as we resist the idea of hell, isn't the absence of hell even worse? Remove hell from the Bible, and at the same time, you remove any notion of a just God. Let me explain. If there is no hell, God is not just. If there is no punishment of sin, heaven is apathetic toward the rapists, pillagers, and mass murderers of society. If there is no hell, God is blind toward victims, and he has turned his back on those who pray for relief. If there is no wrath toward evil, then God is not love, for love hates that which is evil. To say there is no hell is also to say that God is a liar and that his scriptures are untrue. The Bible repeatedly and stoutly affirms the dualistic outcome of history. Some will be saved and some will be lost. The second purpose for hell is not just justice, but righteousness. Isaiah 9-7 promises, He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. This is speaking about Jesus establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. You see, the Bible promises a forever, perfectly righteous kingdom that will come to this earth. After all that is evil has been judged and sent to hell, a fully righteous, perfectly sinless kingdom that the Bible promises will emerge and that promise will take place. That is called the New Jerusalem. That's called heaven. That's what we're going to talk about next Sunday. Here's the question that I'm often most asked about hell. How could a loving God send people to hell? And here's the answer. God does not send people to hell. God, people send themselves to hell by rejecting God's love. Now just think with me on this a little bit. See, God simply honors a person's choice. God is like, I love you. I've sent my son to die on a cross for you. You obviously don't love me. You don't want to be with me in heaven. It breaks my heart, but I will honor your choice. See, hell is the ultimate expression of God's highest regard for the dignity and free will of man. God never forces us to choose him even when it would mean that we would choose hell. If someone rejects God's love, hell is simply the consequence of their sinful choice. All that are in hell choose it. You must remember that. C.S. Lewis said this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, like you as believers, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. God says, you want to live without me? It breaks my heart, but your will be done. It breaks my heart, 
but your choice, your will, it'll be done. Wow. Will an unbeliever experience a physical death? Hades. A place of temporary punishment. Resurrection, one day. A body suited for hell. Judgment, a time when they will stand before God for judgment and then sentencing. And then hell, eternal punishment forever in the lake of fire. You do not want to die, an unbeliever. Believe on Jesus, avoid hell, go to heaven. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, shall not go to hell, shall not go to Hades, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all of us will be more alive than ever seconds after we die physically. Thank you that you have provided for us through repentance of sin. As we repent of our sin, as we put faith in Jesus, that is how we escape the horrors of hell and enter into the glory of heaven in a right relationship with you. No one, Lord, needs to go to hell, especially anyone who's listening to this message. God, your word says that you are patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And maybe God has been speaking to you, even right now. And he's speaking to you about your need to repent of your sins and believe on Jesus for your salvation and receive the gift of eternal life forever with God in heaven. This all comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If this is you, my friend, and this is your moment, you know what's going on in your heart. God loves you, and you can pray, pray, like, you can pray this prayer right now. This is a prayer by which you put faith in Jesus and you go to heaven. And your eternal destination is changed for all eternity. And your name becomes written in the Lamb's book of life. You can pray this prayer quietly and silently in your own heart to God. I'll give you these words. You say this, Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I know I would deserve hell because of my sin, but I believe on Jesus that he went to that cross, he rose from the grave so that I could have my sins forgiven and that my eternal destination could be completely changed from hell to heaven. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to wipe out my sins, make me holy, a righteous man or woman. Live in my life. I want to be with you forever in glory, and I want to live for you and your glory right now on earth. Thank you for the eternal life that you've given me through faith in Jesus. I trust you for this miracle to happen in my life, and I pray this in the name of Christ. And everyone said, amen.